Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of History Hack. Quite excited today. We've got some uh, non-coronavirus talk going on. Alex, who have we got on? We've also got some non-band of brothers talk going on as well which is rare for us these days. Um, We're here today to talk about Queen Victoria's wicked uncles, which is brilliant. Uh, I think we should clarify that they're not all wicked to her. It's not like they all locked her in an attic somewhere and picked on her. But uh, this contemporary label surrounds the fact that they were largely perceived as a depraved bunch of lunatics because every time one of them, they didn't behave very well, and every time one of them did something slightly odd, everyone thought they were going mad like their dad. Um, So with us is Charlotte Ward, Education and Outreach Coordinator at the Lloyds Register Foundation. Foundation's Heritage and Education Centre. But previously, she worked at Kensington Palace, which is why she's so knowledgeable on this. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, no, we're really excited to do something yeah, non war for once. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how is lockdown? Where are you? Um, lockdown's fine. I am in Essex, um, in, my, in my house with my dog and my other half, <laughs> getting through <laughs> somehow. Yeah, we're hypocrites. We've just sat here for five minutes complaining about lockdown before we hit record. So uh, let's leaving <laughs> coronavirus in the rearview mirror. Alina, get us started. So let's start with explaining the family dynamic that uh, Victoria was born into. Why are there so many uncles and why is the race on to see who can end up on the throne? Yeah, so <laughs> Victoria is kind of, unfortunately when she's born, she is surrounded by family and they are extensive so sort of have to go back to 1760 um, and George III becomes king and he has succeeded his grandfather George II um, and George III was the first monarch since Queen Anne to have been born in Britain so he really sort of jumps on that and drives that home um, he sort of says in his speech to Parliament his first speech as king Uh, you know, he was born and educated in this country, I glory in the name of Britain. Um, So part of that was he wanted to set up this kind of, as as much as a royal family could, a kind of country gentleman-esque life, um, to be quite sort of grounded, having a nice big family um, and nothing too over the top. Um, So he married um, Charlotte of Mecklenburg um, and they had 15 children together. So wow. that, 15. <laughs> yeah. 15. 15 in total. Wow, okay. Um, which is quite a remarkable achievement for anyone. Yeah. Um, and 13 of these 15 survived to adulthood, which again, considering the, the sort of high death rates of, of infants at the time, that is also quite a significant achievement. 
problem there comes in the fact that he's now got an excessive amount of children yeah <laughs> he's got the air the spare and then 11 more yeah well i always called the spare spare and the spare 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 yeah he's, he's kind of feeling a bit you know because obviously his his ancestors came to the throne under kind of very unusual circumstances when queen anne died and her 18 children had died as well and you know you go to george the first who was sort of i think 40th plus in line to the throne so he's you know very aware that he has to sort of secure his sort of legacy going forward and the hanover line is going to stay um so you would think with um you know 15 children 13 to adulthood he would have no problem having um you know legitimate grandchildren so the line could continue but this is where george iii's plan fails because he ends up with um some rather interesting sons who do not want to do their duty and get married it's bonkers isn't it to have 13 adult kids and be looking around shrugging your shoulders about who's going to be on the throne next uh, this is yeah. unsurprisingly something that queen victoria spent quite a lot of time uh, distancing herself from uh, while yeah. she was on the throne but let's look at some of these uncles so let's start with george the fourth who is he's the eldest son obviously of george the third and charlotte um mm-hmm. frankly not a likable man that's possibly the most polite way i've ever described him um tell us about him yeah i mean not not particularly likable and i mean maybe to some at the time who knows um but yeah so he was the eldest son so of course he was going to become a king now there's a sort of a weird tradition it's not a nice tradition um in the hanover sort of family in that the parents and usually the eldest son sometimes the other sons do not like each other and they don't see eye to eye and they fall out horrendously and there have been some incredible stories throughout their kind of family interactions where um, horrendous, awful things have happened. Um, and as George grew up with the Prince of Wales, he became sort of rather too fond of women, wine, um, gambling, and he did not like the idea of George III's kind of simple religious English family life. He complete, went completely the opposite way of that. Um, and then really annoyed his father George III when he married Maria Fitzherbert. Um, she was Catholic, which was of course not a thing that the royal family could do, marry a Catholic. And because he hadn't asked permission, this went against the Marriages Act of 1772. So you've got a situation where you can imagine George III is sort of sat there wanting his eldest son, his, his heir, to follow in his footsteps and get married and have an heir himself. And he is not doing that. He's spending too much money and spending too much time with other other women or in this case maria fitzherbert <clears throat> so i feel more sorry for queen charlotte who has gone to the <laughs> physical trouble of birthing all of these children to ensure that succession and the eldest yeah. one turns out to be a bit of a knob basically yeah, um, yeah. She, well she does she does sort of say she she has some regrets about him um, it's a polite and, way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know what's behind closed doors necessarily. Um, but yeah, I think there was this, you know, you have, I suppose, any any monarch has a, a dream about what their eldest son and heir is going to be like, and o- often is the case they're not like that. Um, and George and Charlotte, are, I can only imagine tearing their hair out at how bad. <laughs> George, yeah 
thought of the Prince of Wales as being. Um, but they have a kind of, you know, once they found out he got married and, you know, all sort of hell breaks loose, they do have a kind of leverage with him um, in that he had a lot of debt um, and they kind of used that against him and sort of said, you know, if we, we will pay off the debt, we will help you as long as you get married. And married it is a very married. elaborate way of saying you're not having any pocket money until you do a short time. It's basically that. It's like, yeah, you know, do as we say, get married, and then you can have some money back. Um, and unfortunately, George is kind of um, matched with Caroline of Brunswick. And Caroline of Brunswick has been, I think, unfairly treated by George, by his family, and by history. Um, she's kind of seen as a bit of an unfortunate character. Um, and once she sort of had her uses in, in that she provided an heir, she was sort of shunned by the family. Um, so there we've got Caroline of Brunswick, um, not to be confused with Caroline of Arnsbach, who was an earlier queen. There's a lot of Carolines and a lot of Charlottes and a lot of Georges, and <laughs> it can get muddled at times. And there's an heir though, isn't there? Princess Charlotte. So what goes wrong here? Yeah, so um, George and Caroline marry, and although they hate the sight of each other, they do produce an heir, um, and that's it. They, they don't go no, near each other ever, ever again. Um, and Princess Charlotte is born, and Charlotte um, is seen as the kind of sweetheart of the nation. The country, absolute lover. She's quite bolshy, um, headstrong, opinionated, um, but there's also that kind of future hope that they could get rid of, well, you know, eventually Mad King George will go, then outrageous George IV will go, and then there'll be this vibrant princess who becomes queen, Charlotte. Um, and she marries Leopold I of Belgium, and he becomes an important part later. Um, and it's a marriage of love, which is a really nice thing. It doesn't often happen. Um, unfortunately, well, fortunately, she gets pregnant. And then, unfortunately, it's a really difficult um, birth. It goes on, she's already sort of three or four weeks late. She goes on for several days um, and she's not being treated by the best doctors. Um, the baby is a very large boy uh, that's born, but he's still born. And then Charlotte dies um, during the night, sort of following morning. Um, and that causes not only an outcry of, of mourning and upset around the country and for George, uh, Prince of Wales and uh, for Caroline, um, but it also causes the crisis. There's now no heir that can take over sort of the next generation after um, George, George IV. Um, so yeah, you have a sort of crisis. <laughs> so as you, so I, I think doesn't George IV say about Caroline that he feels physically sick at the thought of going near her? Yeah, he is apparently on his wedding day. He's he's supposed to turn to someone and said, you know, I I feel sick. I'm sure she um, was the same about him. Yeah. <laughs> so there were no more children. It was all hinging on Charlotte. But brutally yeah. speaking, he has many brothers. It shouldn't be a problem coming up with an heir. Tell us about Prince Frederick, the next in line, and his nursery rhyme legacy. 
<laughs> yeah, so you would think that, you know, maybe George feels, no, it's not up to me now, someone else. So we've got Frederick. Frederick is the second son, so he's the spare. Um, and he joined the army at a, a, a very young, well, joined the army at a sort of a youngish age. Um, and he kind of um, doesn't have a particularly good um, early career shall we say, um, and his kind of mistakes in the army end up leading to him being the, in the famous sort of nursery run, the, the Randall Duke of York, um, which, you know, when he had 10,000 men, he marched across the hill and he marched down again, and the, the, the kind of confusion there. So yeah, he wasn't necessarily um, skilled leader, but of course, because he was a second son, it was kind of, you know, given a commission and off he goes. Um, he was commander-in-chief during the Napoleonic Wars, and once he kind of reaches that higher level, we actually he does introduce some sort of significant um, changes in restructuring the army and, and reform. So he does some good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he is married, isn't he? Why no heir? Yeah, so he marries um, Princess Frederica, um, and they don't like each other. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's <laughs> unfortunately this is a story of, of no love and a lot of hate. Um, yeah, they, they don't really like each other and they just don't have children. Um, and by the time Charlotte has, has died, Frederick is now sort of way too old to even sort of think about you know forcing him to, to marry someone else. And I think he's got to that point where he's sort of thinking, oh, I'm done. I'm, I'm not, I'm not bothering. <laughs> it's not going to come to me. Um, the younger brothers, this is when the younger brothers start thinking, hang on, we're kind of younger, fitter and healthier. It looks like we might become king and therefore our children um, would become king or queen afterwards. So yeah, you've got the kind of younger brothers starting to move up the line. <laughs> So the next brother down ends up reigning as William the Fourth, and he is your favourite. Tell us about him. Yeah. Um, so William the Fourth, also known as the Sailor King, is just—he's my favourite. He's one of my favourite monarchs in, in general, um, but one of my favourite in the family. He's—he's he's the third son. <clears throat> so again, he's got this sort of well, what what do we do with him? Um, and George the Third worried that he was going to fall under the influence of his older brothers, who were as we say, tearaways and, and not particularly great. Um, he, George III had also fallen in love a bit with the, with the Royal Navy. And he loved the fact that when he went down to a, Navy, a naval review at Portsmouth, he um, saw the new young officers, the sort of young midshipmen on parade. And he said that they were bright-eyed, brown-skinned, fit and alert, quick to obey and to command. Um, so he liked the discipline and he liked the fact that they kind of, you know, been all over the world and you know the navy of course was was sort of the pride of britain so he thought i'm going to send my son into the navy and he made sure that when william was in the navy he was not treated as as someone who was special he he was treated as any other midshipman joining the navy um he had a, a, a good career relatively good career he became very good friends with um, nelson um, Nelson's seen his chance at kind of, you know, getting up into the higher echelons of society there. Um, and he went to America, which, um, you know, the royal family hadn't been over there. 
not since the you know American um, War of Independence and, and Declaration of Independence. You know, he he was over there. Um, Washington put out a kind of, um, sort of kidnap ransom <laughs> thing on his on his head and said, you know, anyone who gets him, we we kind of we're kind of interested. So he had to be a bit looked after. Um, but yeah, he he kind of became because of his naval career, he had. I think he just became a bit more sort of mellow and more kind of grounded than his brothers. <clears throat> um, but that doesn't mean that he followed the same ideals of, as his father and having a, a proper wife. Um, oh, he doesn't, he, does he? He's fertile, uh, though. But what's the problem? He's incredibly fertile. Um, he, with his uh, mistress, uh, co- he cohabited with her. She was kind of a bit more accepted than some of the others. Dorothea Bland, um, and she was an actress at the time and they had 10 children together um so very fertile um a sort of interesting side fact one of the kind of descendants of those 10 children is uh was the former pm uh david cameron so you know they <laughs> they stuck around um but yeah so once charlotte has died no heir william is in this sort of um position where he's thinking i'm i could become king i i'm gonna you know, do my duty, kind of being pushed a little bit by my brothers, do my duty and get married. And he married Adelaide. And they had a wonderful marriage. Um, there was a lot of love between them. She really, really cared about him. The only tragedy was that though they tried to have children, um, they failed. Um, so she, they had two daughters that lived for a couple of days. Um, and Adelaide had three miscarriages Um, and by the point that she's kind of he's become king and you know these miscarriages keep happening um, I think William and Adelaide both sort of said you know enough's enough it's not going to happen for us Um, although people kept saying oh you're going to have a baby you're going to have a baby he dismissed it as saying that's damn stuff it's not happening Um, so now We've come to Edward, Duke of Kent, Victoria's father. Mm-hmm. Who is he? Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so you've got Edward, Duke of Kent. Um, and he's now the fourth, going to the fourth son. Um, gone into the army, as most of them did. Served um, and lived in North America and Europe. So he's actually not really at home that, that much. Um, and like his older brothers, he amounted a huge amount of debt. Um, and he didn't have the best relationship with, with his brothers. They kind of fell out frequently about sort of various sorts of issues. You know, they saw him as having a huge number of faults and flaws and that he wasn't as good as them, even though they've all got the same faults and flaws. They just saw it in Edward more than them, you know, hypocritical uh, brothers that they yeah. were. Um, but again, he he sort of thought, well, I could become king. And he was really convinced that he was going to become king. He, he really thought that he was, because he was sort of young and fit and strong and healthy, he thought, I'm going to become king, so I need to produce an heir. So he marries um, Victoria of Saxe-Coburg, who is the sister of Leopold, who had married Princess Charlotte. Um, and she got pregnant, but they were overseas. Now, he was bit scared to come back to the UK because of his um, brothers, but also because of his creditors. Um, and no one was really helping him. But in order for his child to definitely be recognised as an heir, 
they she he or she they didn't know at the time obviously had to be born in Britain and preferably in a royal palace. So there's this kind of you know she's Victoria's heavily pregnant and they rush her across stormy seas. It was wasn't a particularly nice sort of spring summer and bundle her into a decrepit part of Kensington Palace by this point was falling apart bundle her into a room essentially and she gives birth in there and and that's where we get Queen Victoria if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers with Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today that's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, it's just in time, isn't it? So far as her father's concerned, her life is weird. She's got no father figure um, because he's about to die. She was guided and surrounded by men, not all of whom had her best in heart. Um, how does George IV perceive her? Because he's obviously looking down at this distant niece now um, as his heir. Tell us about a Christmas. Yeah. yeah, so um, you've got a sort of a difficulty here. Um, Edwards is feeling pretty chuffed of himself. He's now produced a surviving child. Um, and he's still convinced that he's going to become um, king. So this is 1819. George III is still alive. Um, and George IV, as he becomes his Prince Regent. So that's kind of the world that Victoria is born into. Um, and she was christened... Uh, privately at Kensington Palace in the beautiful Cupola Room um, on 24th of June 1819 and there was an argument breaking out between members of the family, various members of the family about her name. Um, It was suggested that she would be called Charlotte after Princess Charlotte but George um, who was present at her christening wasn't having that. He didn't want that kind of memory of of his daughter tarnished uh, then it was georgiana um, or georgina one of the two after george but he didn't want that either um because it sort of clashed with her other godfather um alexander the first of russia so they were going to call her alexandrina georgiana charlotte all sorts of these names and he said no i don't want her to be called georgiana so they settle with alexandrina 
after um, her godfather, uh, Alexander I of Russia. And then it was, well, what's the middle name going to be? Um, and George uh, you know, sort of said, well, it can be the mother's name, but we're not going to have the German version, Victoire. We're going to have Victoria. So she becomes Alexandrina Victoria. At the christening, her mother was crying. Um, I don't think her father, the, you know, the father wasn't very happy. George wasn't very happy. And eventually she's, she is christened. <laughs> it was, I think, one of those family events where everyone was crying and upset and angry. Um, he's all right wow. with her in the end, though, isn't he, George IV? He is, yeah. It takes a bit of time. Um, it's not an immediate sort of, you know, oh, she's, she's great and she's, you know, the future of this country. There's, there's the feeling towards her that's a bit frosty because George IV doesn't like Victoria's mother very much. She's not very popular, so he thinks the same as her. He also prefers Victoria's older um, half-sister, Theodora. But the more Victoria as a child spent with George when he was king, the more he grew to like her. And he would, she would be invited on coach rides around uh, the grounds of Windsor. Um, and she referred to him quite affectionately as dear Uncle King. Uh, so how is her relationship with William IV? Um, so William, yeah, so William becomes king um, following the death of his brother, George IV. And there's a very, very good relationship there. William and Adelaide dote on um, Victoria. And in fact, they only wish they could spend more time with her. Um, because of the system Victoria was growing up in at Kensington Palace, the famous Kensington system, she was controlled by John Conroy, who um, worked for her mother. And she lived this very strict, structured life. Um, and... You know, sort of those sort of various rules that were, you know, put in place to protect her. Part of that meant that she wasn't really allowed to see her family um, and William and, and Adelaide. Um, and on one occasion that she did, um, a birthday for uh, William, an argument broke out between William and her mother. And Victoria was left sort of in the middle crying her eyes out because she loved her mother to, to an extent, but also her uncle, and she didn't really know, you know, she's sort of stuck in the middle. Um, and that she, she kind of tempered her relationship with him a little bit after that and described him as a good old man, though eccentric and singular. Um, but for the most part, they did have a, a really good um, relationship. And the good thing was that Adelaide, after William died, she became a very close um, companion of Victoria's. Yeah, so um, so Victoria is now in the succession, but that's not where her bonkers family ends, is it? Let's look at a few of the other uncles. Tell us about Ernest Augustus, King of Hanover and Duke of Cumberland. People believed he might end up King of England, didn't they? Yeah, so, and, and none more so than him himself. Um, <laughs> so, unfortunately for Victoria, though obviously her uncles are slowly sort of, best way of putting it, but dying out, um, she's still surrounded by family. So. Ernest, um, yeah, so he, he goes into the army again. Um, he becomes the Duke of Cumberland and he has this really poor public image, not just amongst his own family, but the general public really do not like him. There was rumours that circulated that he had murdered his valet and that he had an illegitimate child with one of his sisters. Um, so he's got this horrible image. So when Victoria becomes a queen... He realises, obviously, at that point, he's not becoming king. You know, he's, he's lost his chance. 
but he does become king of Hanover because although the monarch until this point had been both king of Britain and king of Hanover, women could not succeed the Hanoverian throne. So he becomes king of Hanover. And he wants to make sure he still has his foot in the door in England to make sure that, you know, he's still got some sway over there. Um, but it doesn't always sort of work like that. He falls out massively with, with Victoria. He didn't like that she was marrying Albert. He disapproved of it. He thought it would sort of upend the kind of balanced tensions and relationships in Europe having someone um, from a German state marrying into the, the, the British royal family. He tried to get all of the brothers and sisters against it. They just ignored him. Um, he was very unpopular with some of the prime ministers. So like Wellington didn't like him. Melbourne wasn't keen on him. Um, and he wasn't popular with his brother, William. Um, and he hated Albert's great exhibition. He thought it was ridiculous and shouldn't have been done. He argued with Victoria frequently about the kind of jewels left by Queen Charlotte. Um, and yeah, he just, I, I can only imagine that he was just really annoying <laughs> to yeah. frequent arguments. But the only good thing was that he was out of the country quite a lot. And he only came back really for after Victoria's coronation um, in 1843 um, for a wedding of one of the other um, family members. Apart from that, he wasn't. He wasn't in the country so thankfully it was only letters that she could probably just ignore <laughs> he, he sounded like a right old laugh oh yeah i mean I, absolutely i would have loved to have gone out for drinks of him he would have been great <laughs> <laughs> but i mean these these guys just seem to be getting worse and worse and worse the more we're going on in this podcast so mm. let's brighten this up a little bit tell us about her favorite uncle yeah so not all of them were as bad as ernest um, you've got Augustus, and he is the Duke of Sussex. And along with Leopold um, of Belgium, he's arguably Victoria's favourite uncle. Um, he didn't have a military career, so that set him apart from his other brothers. Um, he was very, very liberal-minded and really, really interested in politics. And that's kind of what he spent his time doing, kind of understanding kind of the wider world. Um, and he was a very tall, dominating figure. He'd often, he had this sort of striking white hair um, and wear all black. Um, but because of his sort of liberal, kind nature, he was popular with the public as well. So he um, became chief ranger of St. James's Park, became governor of Windsor Castle. So he held these like really responsible positions for his family. Um, Victoria often wrote in her diary about, I dined with the Duke of Sussex today. The Duke of Sussex came over today. I saw my uncle, the Duke of Sussex. You know, there was a really close relationship with him. Um, he was present at her first Privy Council meeting, which happened at Kensington Palace. And there's a painting which, whenever, <laughs> whenever you can get back to Kensington Palace, it's still on the wall of the room in which it happened. Um, and it, in the painting, you see Victoria on one side, all these men, I mean, she entered a room at 18, you know, four foot something, young, never really been in public, surrounded by all these experienced men. And her uncle, the Duke of Sussex, is there. And he becomes a kind of calming, supportive influence to her. Um, and she sort of appreciates him being there. He gives her away at her wedding, which, I mean, is sort of a great honour for, for any family member to do, as her father wasn't around. Um, unfortunately, he, he died in 1843, um, 
And he, because of his popularity, he was left lying in state at Kensington Palace so the public could go in and, and see him. Um, but yeah, you, you, when you read her diaries um, and you get a sense of Victoria's relationships with people, it's nice to see that, you know, there are some there that, that seem genuinely to look out for her, um, which was, yes, yeah, quite nice. <laughs> um, and of course, because this is uh, the royal family at that point, one of her uncles ends up being her father-in-law, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. So um, you've got when when Victoria's obviously sort of young um, and it's seen, you know, she needs to marry someone decent and someone that they approve of. Her mother, John Conroy, and her mother's brothers um, have a little sort of discussion about who she should marry. And Albert, the son of Ernest I um, of Saxe-Coburg, is selected um, he's the same age as Victoria, which is, which is good. And they, you know, famously fall in love um, at Kensington Palace and eventually marry. And so her uncle, Ernest, becomes her father-in-law as well. Um, and then you've also got Leopold, who, again, was married to Princess Charlotte, would have been king of England, would have been the king had Charlotte not died. Um, and he, again, was one of those uncles that she was very, very close with. And he would always visit and write. And he kind of sees himself as the, as the matchmaker between her and, and Albert, keeping everything in the family, which is always nice at this time. Everything's in the family. <laughs> do you know, I know they've done the programme about Victoria, right? But they should do a different one and talk about, like, her uncles and her family more than just Victoria, because I think that would be just far more interesting. I knew you yeah, were going to like this. <laughs> just oh, give Alina a nice dysfunctional royal family to laugh at and she's happy I mean, of, of all royal families I've always said these are probably the most dysfunctional um, there's so much more to say about each one of them um, and you know I'd love to go into you know talk hours about them um, but yeah that they're, they're a great they're a great bunch to kind of go oh wow that was that was a time <laughs> That was a family. <laughs> so we talked about all of these like crazy uncles and some not so crazy, but she's got some really bonkers aunts as well, hasn't she? Like, tell us about Princess Sophia. Yeah, so um, not yeah, not just the men in her life, but but the the women as well. So Sophia, um, along with her other sisters, they were protected by their mother Charlotte. Um, at Kew Palace and it was kind of called the nunnery so they weren't allowed out really and they weren't really allowed to court anyone um, and George III didn't really like the idea of any of his daughters marrying um, they did some of them but it was a real sort of you know that they were just sort of kept together um, so then on poor Sophia the rumours started circulating when she was sort of, you know teenager early early 20s, that she had had an illegitimate child with her brother, Ernest. Now, whether or not it was Ernest or whether or not it was Major General Thomas Garth, who was George III's chief equerry, we don't really know. Um, we don't really know if she actually had an illegitimate child. She just sort of disappears for a bit. Um, and, we, yeah, so she's got this kind of reputation circling around her. She then is kind of shoved in Kensington Palace. So Kensington Palace was one of the chief residences for the monarchs um, from when it was built by 
um, Mary and William. But after George III becomes king, it just becomes a dumping ground for an excess of, of members of the royal family. And she's dumped there. She's not, she doesn't marry. She's kind of had that reputation ruined. So when Victoria was growing up at Kensington, um, she didn't like her aunt, so Sophia. Um, she, Sophia became a spy for John Conroy. She really liked John Conroy and let Conroy control her money and, and her as a person. And she would report back on things Victoria was doing. She, bless her heart, she then, um, still at Kensington Palace, Victoria's become queen. She then sort of goes blind, becomes muddled and goes mad. Um, and she dies in 1848. And apparently her ghost haunts Kensington Palace um, today, which, I mean, I don't know if I'd want to come across a blind, mad, muddled ghost of, of poor Sophia. But yeah, um, she lived a rather tragic life, unfortunately. So, so my friend's actually working quite hard on uh, Amelia as well. That's another one, isn't it, that has a tragic life so far. It wasn't fun being George III's daughter. No, yeah, a lot of them have had um, pretty tragic lives. I mean, she she had um, her aunt, I think Mary, I think it was, you know, she, she was good. She had those that stayed, or Maria, sorry, I've got the name now, but they stayed um, close, um, and so, some some were some were fine. But there were, I think there was always a fear with um, her aunts and uncles, but also with Victoria herself, um, that they would have inherited their their father's and grandfather's madness. Yeah. Um, so there was that always hanging over, and Victoria famously had these you know big bouts of rage and went a little could go a little bit mad at times and Albert, her husband, feared she'd inherited that, that madness as well. So I, because I, there's so many of them, there's, this, there's just this sort of weird relationship between them all. And you can only imagine that with a lot of them, it's seeing this young girl become queen and their older, more experienced kind of watching it happen and losing that power that they could have had, you know. Thank you so much for coming on to give us, a, like you say, you could do a podcast about each of these individuals, but to give us like a, an overall introduction to Queen Victoria's family um, and a little bit of an introduction into why she possibly was slightly unhinged at times herself as well, because that's not exactly a nurturing environment for a child to grow no, up in. No, not great. <laughs> but thanks very much for uh, telling us a little bit more about it. Oh, thank you for having me and I, and I hope that you've yeah, learned a little bit more about Victoria's family. Join us tomorrow when we will be getting a crash course in conflict archaeology. This one's brilliant. Uh, I didn't quite know what it meant. We talked to Dr Terence Christian and got a really good overview of what it is he does and the challenges he faces and, and the kind of sites that he excavates. It's really interesting. We will also be down the pub debating the stupidest assassination attempt in history. There are some absolutely hilarious ones being put forward to this. So make sure you join us. It's going to be a full house in the Mary Rose to argue this one out. Uh, you can now nominate History Hack for an award. If you go to BritishPodcastAwards.com, you can nominate us for a Listener's Choice Award. Uh, you have to do your vote by the 6th of July 2020, uh, and they will announce the winner at the British Podcast Awards on Saturday, the 11th of July 2020. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, we'd really appreciate it.
don't forget you can become a patron of history hack for as little as a dollar a month just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com it will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus and we would really appreciate it as we would love to do so there now follows a public service announcement i'm horatia hornblower and i'm archie kennedy the simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders indeed the regulations are very clear in the matter It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.